Hello and welcome to this retrospective episode of Nothing Ventured. Uh, from last season, it should come as no surprise to you, uh, fans of the podcast certainly will know this, uh, that we are really uh, interested and excited about anyone that is promoting diversity within the tech and venture ecosystem. So in this episode, you're going to hear from a bunch of our guests that are really passionate about making uh, VC and uh, the startup ecosystem uh, much more inclusive than they are today. Uh, and you're going to hear from people like Eleanor Kay, uh, the executive director at the Newton Venture Program, Emmy Forst, uh, founder at, founder at Female Founders Rise, uh, Agatha Nawicka, uh, founder of Female Foundry, Anishka Prashad, the head of strategy and operations at Future VC, Andrea Summer, uh, CEO of High Founders, and Andy Ayam, founder of the Angel Investing School. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get straight into it. For me, I think the thing that's that's really interesting is when I first sort of started working within the venture ecosystem, I found it very opaque. And I and I did think that, you know, for someone from the outside to try and actually break into this would be immensely difficult. Um, what's really encouraging is just the amount of resource and and and, and obviously learnings um, that are out there now. How how I guess, you know, you mentioned it earlier, but, you know, how open are existing VCs and people in the ecosystem to actually giving, you know, their thoughts and the the do's, the don'ts and like this is, you know, being really candid about where they've struggled. I mean, we've had people on the podcast who are now established, but took them three years to build, you know, their first fund. And that's three years of schlepping around uh, to your point, getting lots of no's. Um, you know, how available, I guess, are people, you know, um, in the ecosystem uh, to, to actually give those stories and, and, and provide that context? Yeah, it's a really good question. So because we're connected with Local Globe, we obviously have a good network of, of venture capitalists who are willing to support. And, you know, we've had some incredible, Reshma Sahini have co- has come and talked, Harry Stebbings has come, um, you know, Eileen Burbage from Passion. We've had like some big names, even, you know, Robin Klein, who is Saul's father, mm. um, has come and talked on our podcast. And actually, I think to your point, like have been, you know, very open about providing the reels, like do's and don'ts as well. And we try and back that up with resources and, and learning through faculty around like the real sort of nitty gritty technical aspects. But we've actually seen a massive outpouring of sort of people saying, how can we support in other ways? Mm. So mentoring, for example, people want to support. Um, we've had uh, VC funds re- reach out to us and said, hey, can we advertise our jobs with you? Can you share Amazing. this to your network? Mm. We want to hear from your network. We we believe in what you're doing, believe in the outcomes. You know, how can we advertise with you? But VC jobs are hard to come by. So we have to really think about what other ways can people um get into the vc ecosystem and that's why we specifically say don't you're not you necessarily have to become a venture capitalist sure you can get involved in the ecosystem in many different ways and i think about these pathways so uh the people who join our fundamentals programs they're doctors they're lawyers they're nhs workers they're um government officials they're just normal people in their life like trying to just understand more about venture capital so people have a lot, of, you know, out of a 60 person cohort, people have a lot of different motivation, a lot of different reasons to want to learn. 
potentially because they want to break into venture capital and work in venture capital. That's like one pathway and that's that's great. We, it's quite easy to sort of work that through. That's what you want to do. Uh, people get jobs after doing our program because uh, they've learned these sort of basics. They can then answer like case studies that come through um, or they decide it's not for them, mm. which is also completely valid. I'd rather people, you know, take our program and then go, do you know what? That's That's not for me. But I now understand how the ecosystem works and potentially they might become a founder. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they can talk venture capital. They can understand what, what are they looking for in my pitch deck? How am I going to stand out? How am I going to raise funding? What does raising funding really mean? And so I feel like for education from that aspect is, is pretty cool. And then they can also go and invest through uh, a syndicate. And I know you've spoken to uh, Patty from Odin, but, you know, these are... There's lots of different ways to invest through syndicates and syndicates are becoming extremely powerful ways of people who potentially don't have the capital to put in uh, to invest. And that's pretty cool because we've had three syndicates created from our program so far. They're really active. They've done investments. And we've, considering we've only been going two years, to have three very strong syndicates like who are investing it's amazing. That's an amazing outcome. I, I like. I hundred percent agree. And I mean, Paddy and I have talked about this as 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 I have with um, you know Remy from Voban as well in the past. But you know, th this sort of opening up of access to really you know incredible deals via syndication is is hugely empowering. And for a lot of people, and again, we talked right. Underestimated um, individuals may not have capital. They may not have the you know balance sheet, personal balance sheet to go going out there and investing. They may not have access to funds as a VC to invest other people's money, which is obviously you know effectively what what, what you're doing as a VC. Uh, and actually, the ability to write like one one k checks is is hugely empowering. It's something that I do and have started doing over the last year and a half as well because. It allows you to, I mean, you know, a lot of us that are in the ecosystem see amazing deals daily, you know, or weekly or monthly. Um, and, you know, we want to be able to support them, but it, it's it's really hard to do that. And I think absolutely, if, if, if via the program, there are more people going out there, not necessarily entering VC as, you know, as a, uh, as an industry per se, but, but effectively broadening, I guess, access to capital within the VC ecosystem, then that is hugely important. And obviously not just for the ecosystem itself, but for them as individuals, because they're then able to create potentially uh, upside for themselves in, in the future, which, you know, which, which unfortunately has been, you know, a gated kind of outcome for, for, for most people up until now. So com coming on to female founders rise, I, I'd love to understand, you know, how does it empower female founders and why should a female founder join your community? What are the and, and what are the challenges building that community? Because you know I've seen quite a few of these um, over the last several years. There, there's and, and there's a lot of people trying to tackle this kind of uh, issue around systemic underrepresentation or underinclusion. Uh, it would be great, uh, yeah, to understand what are the challenges uh, in building the community and why they should wh why they should join the community and what you can offer them. I guess. Okay, so. Um, why they should join or why they do join, and I've asked them this, I've just done a piece of research and we've had about 120 people so far respond. Um, I think one of the reasons they join is that it's independent, that it's set up by a female founder, so I totally get it. I'm an exited founder. Um, I totally understand where they're at. Um, it, I think there's also... they. 
people say that they the reasons that they say they join or that they love it is the quality of the resources is amazing so obviously in 20 years that i've been doing this i've got a like amazing you know book or rolodex of the best people so like you said you might come and do something so basically essentially i've got all these incredible people running masterclasses, running office hours running q a's and and often i'm there as well so they're getting access to really top quality advice we do online networking and we do offline networking. So that offline networking, we had one yesterday. So they've been, they sell out in two days and we had 75 people come yesterday. We had some friendly angels and VCs um, and female founders that were much further on. And they're there to sort of give advice, open doors. You know how we talked earlier about how getting warm introductions and opening doors and understanding how VC works and all those things are so important. So that's the purpose but also to bring these women together because for collaboration, for fun, for support, to understand um, and learn from each other in a safe space. So um, that's why people are joining. They, they say they're joining because of the community, because of the support of other people for the um, networking and for the masterclasses and all the insights and resources. And also every week we send out an email which has details on all the stuff that's coming up and also like six resources every week that help um, female founders. So that is why they should join. What they get is access to a community with, as I said, online and offline networking, lots of masterclasses around marketing, growth, funding, raising pitch deck reviews and then just being part of a community that's championing female founders so like that's just what we do um and what are the challenges of building the community um i would say i'm trying to do it in a very lean way i almost like want to show female founders like how to get traction and how to do this so like i haven't spent any money on the branding the website was 200 quid and at the moment it looks shit but it's a work in progress um i basically set it up using a linkedin page which is totally free created a little banner and a google form which ask people what stage they're at, where they're based, um, and what sort of resources and help they wanted. Um, and then also part of the form is if you're an investor or a supporter or an angel, you can also um, say how you'd like to get involved. So we've had 1,300 people or something fill in that form. Um, that all started on Google, um, on LinkedIn, sorry. And then from that, we've created a database and segmented people so that they get the right um, emails. Um, I think it's really time consuming. I put a huge amount of love into it. I really genuinely care. At the moment, I don't know how I'm going to scale it. I don't know how I'm going to monetize it. That's a big, you know, not worry, but everyone's like, you know, how are you going to monetize this thing? And like, for me, I don't need to know that because yeah. I'm an exited founder and I've got money. Um, I don't need to pay myself right now. So I'm in a position, obviously a very lucky position where I can just run something because I love it and I put a bit of money into the bank account so it can tick over. Um, I believe that if you have a business that has a need and is answering problems and is providing solutions, then money will come. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not worried about that now. Um, but I think that is the challenge is that I'm not chucking loads of money at it. Cause obviously if I was chucking loads of money, at it, I'd have amazing branding. I'd have people running conferences for me. It, and it's probably, you know, it's tiring. So yesterday I literally gave 70 people a hug. Hello. And I tried to make sure that everyone was networking and that everyone was meeting people. And I was introducing 
the right female founders, the right investors. And afterwards, I was like absolutely exhausted. Um, but I love it. So I'd say that's the biggest, you know, and, and I'd say to someone, so someone said to me, how long is it taking to grow female founders rise? And I said, like, you know, four months or whatever it was to a thousand people. And they'd be like, oh, wow, I'm, you know, I might do that. But what I didn't say is like, it's taken me 20 years of building relationships on LinkedIn with all the experts for everyone to know me, like me and trust me to say, go and join. It's a really good offering. Um, because so basically it's taken me 20 years. We've had, um, uh, people like Emmy Faust on mm -hmm. uh, previously, who's, who's built a similar sort of uh, mm -hmm. platform. I think we have, uh, someone coming on in the future from Hive. Um, and there, there, there's a number of these platforms out there and they seem to be very focused on either, um, uh, female founders or mm -hmm. on diverse ethnicities, mm -hmm. right? So obviously under, underrepresented and marginalized potentially groups. And I, and I obviously intrinsically, I believe in, in, in what you're doing and why there is a need but is there some sort of information asymmetry which mm. means that the female founders or people from other backgrounds or underrepresented backgrounds just have less access mm. not necessarily just the capital but to the knowledge or the the people or is there even you know dare i say it some sort of Im imposter syndrome that kind mm. of floats throughout all of us that mm. that you know it, it often feels to me and i see posts like this all the all the time you know you have a white you know male 20 to 30 year old founder mm. who's like oh i just raised one and a half million uh, <laughs> in capital and you look behind the hood and there's not much happening in mm. the business uh, whereas you know female founders maybe other uh, other founders from more uh, diverse backgrounds have a hesitation to kind mm. of put themselves out there and say you know this is investable today yep. they're always waiting or, or, or trying to build it to the point where they think it'll be investable yeah. and therefore they miss a boat is that is yeah, 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 definitely. I would definitely uh, agree with that. Uh, I think there's a combination of few things happening. Definitely as a female founder, again, ex-female founder, uh, there's a... I think that women overall have got this tendency of over-delivering. Mm. And unless they over-deliver, they think that they are not good enough. Mm. So definitely, you know, right now I have, uh, I, I work with both female and male founders and I see tremendous difference, even how they pitch their businesses. Yeah. And that's what I want to transcend through female foundry, that kind of level of confidence. Uh, and one thing that I want to mention, because I think that what's unique about female foundry compared to the, the, the some of the uh, platforms that you, uh, that you mentioned is that from the beginning, um, my objective has been to bring the ecosystem together, mm -hmm. meaning, Actually, you know, when you think about even subscribers of Female Foundry, 40% of community are VC investors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, 30% of our uh, subscribers are men, mm -hmm, actually. Mm -hmm. So it's about bringing that balance. Again, VCs, founders, male versus or not even versus and women. <laughs> uh, and I think that's with that kind of, with that, only with that kind of approach, this in inclusive in, uh, approach will be able to make a difference. We are going to bring that confidence when it comes to, you know, imposter syndrome or uh, female founders uh, kind of lacking that uh, that uh, confidence um, or in terms of that education as well. Uh, so, for example, in my in my newsletter, weekly newsletter, I covered the entire ecosystem. So I focus on founders, but also emerging managers, also investors. And it's interesting. I've been getting lots of feedback from actually female founders saying, Agatha, you've covered, you cover aspects I never realized actually they were important for me. So something that we talked about earlier, you know, 
dry powder, where the dry powder comes, okay, LP. So I need to understand actually what's happening in the macroeconomic level to understand why I'm not getting this kind of traction. So there's a lot of uh, kind of um, education that happens, um, let's say spontaneously, by giving that access, that knowledge, um, to founders in the first place. Yeah, no, I mean that makes a lot of sense. I'm proud to be one of the uh, <laughs> one of the thirty percent male uh, subscribers <laughs> yes. to the to the newsletter. I, I I read it religiously. I think I think there's yeah I think there's a, a, an amazing amount of um, value for anyone. Mm. It, it do, doesn't necessarily need to be uh, that you are a female founder. Yeah. And, and interestingly, what I would take from what you just said, and I, and, and I think you you know that's exactly the right way of thinking about it. In order to affect change throughout the ecosystem, you need to have everyone in the ecosystem involved, yeah, right? And, exactly. and and the reality today is that a lot of capital, a lot of founders, a lot of investors are male, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they, mm. they are sitting on those pools of capital. Yeah. And unless they uh, can uh, be exposed, I guess, to, to you know this wider range of diversity within the ecosystem, it, it's harder for them to make, well, yeah. I say harder. Yeah. It is easier for them not to make a decision. And yeah. one of the things I, I, I definitely agree with, right, I see... You know, I, I see a lot of uh, female founder um, focused funds or, or mm. uh, you know, angels or, or, mm. or whatever it might be. And, you know, and you have platforms like Alma Angels, which mm. obviously is, is very mm. focused on, on female founders as well. But the reality is that I think, you know, throughout the ecosystem, especially if you're looking for venture funding, one has to be really conscious of the fact that not all businesses receive venture funding. Yeah, and 100%. therefore you need to understand what it is that, is required if you want to move down that track yeah. and also whether that that pathway is even something that yeah. you want to you want to take on I, I personally you know uh, tried to raise vc funding for my own business was not able to but i was trying to raise in <laughs> the worst p p possible time but equally also accept that you know the business didn't have the traction that it probably needed and mm. we actually pivoted pretty hard but the reality is even with the networking connections i have yeah. It is not a given that you're yeah. going to raise venture funding, right? Yeah. And therefore, understanding what those dynamics are, mm. I, I think, is super, uh, super interesting. And so where do you see Female Foundry going? What What is the end objective that you're looking to yeah. do? Is it just continue to kind of put out this resource and education yeah. um, for, for, for founders? Or is, yeah. there, is there a goal that you're aiming towards? Yeah, sure. So through Female Foundry, I must say, over the past few months, I've been getting incredible deal flow to start with. <laughs> so that's... At the beginning, I, I was keeping it open-ended, but since I've actually, since, I don't know, a few months, since I've opened up this pitch box uh, kind of initiative, I've been speaking with about 12 to 15 founders a week. Um, and I would say maybe 20%. I'm sorry for those that are not going to be included. <laughs> have been absolutely actually amazing. So um, that's been leading me towards, uh, obviously, thinking about setting up my own fund. Oh, we're um, going to talk about that in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I'm not saying this is the end goal, because um, I would say I still want to play uh, the role. Female founders should still play an ongoing role, uh, a little bit like tech stars, for example, does uh, with providing educational and kind of support across the ecosystem, but really only few uh, startups are part of the accelerator program. So I think that there is a space for Female Foundry and def definitely there's a huge space wide and open still for many entrants in this space. Um, yeah, and I think that I would love to prove that there are incredible women founders, not better than men. There's no case like that. There's no case better or worse. It's like there are incredible, uh, driven, you know, ambitious women that should be getting funded. Your challenge was both 
you know, firstly, the wrong team, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as you said, this exodus of talent, which which a lot of us have seen as well. Or if not, if not just the exodus of talent, just far higher demand and competition for that talent. Right. Let's talk about, you know, the wrong team. What what having gone through that experience? Yeah. What would you have done differently? What were the things that you kind of didn't pick up on that you picked up on later? Um, I think I think human nature is to believe the best in people. Yeah. Right. Like when you're interviewing somebody, you would think, right, this person is telling me a true picture and depiction of their skills and capabilities, etc. But human nature is also to when you're on the other side to not be disclosing all of your skills. So I think sometimes there's a misalignment of things. And I mean, that's just a given in tech projects because they are ambitious, right? You're trying to do something that's disruptive that hasn't been done before. Um, and as a founder, I was very much prepared that at some point in time, I will have to scrap the entire team and deploy a new one. And I was pretty ready for it, but um, and, I, that, and that might have happened yeah. either because you ran out of money for a period, or something else changed, or, or just like changed. the skills are not yeah. aligning. The skills are just not aligning. Right. For instance, if you if you're trying to build a, a platform that is AI heavy, right? You you don't need just any software engineer. You need somebody who knows AI through and through. You, you need someone who knows machine learning, etc. Like, and I personally, all I knew was the definitions. I, I'm not a techie, right? So I could use a bubble, I could code on that, but that's a no code platform. So like there's a lot of things over there that you learn through the process. Um, and to be honest, when you're recruiting, you are seeing stuff on CV and trying to match it yeah. with the person, right? And you, you, match it, you match it and you do the best and you pray for the best, but it doesn't always happen. So um, when that happens and people have to part ways, the business still goes on. Because mm. like the reality is that like 18 months into it, it didn't work out. And then after that, I had to get a new team. Mm. And I did. Right. So um, from that perspective, I think as a founder, your head has to be switched on. It, it's a horse with almost like blinkers on. Right. That this is what we need to do, um, especially if you've got public money <laughs> to spend. Right. So you have to give full disclosure of exactly what's happened and why your product is functional and not, etc. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, those are challenges that any founder would have. Right. At some point, you're going to have to fire people. At some point, you're going to have to hire new people. So I, I think if you're not geared geared up to all of that, then entrepreneurship isn't for it's you. It's the wrong place for yeah, you. Yeah, it's the yeah. wrong place for you. Yeah. You can't have 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 beautiful conversations all the time. Like there's, you know, that's not the role of a founder or an angel investor or or anyone who's in the startup land, right? Like there are difficult conversations, there are tough decisions, and you need to make them. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. You said in the uh, in the primary episode, failure is a badge of honor, right? And that's the way people think about it in, in kind of Silicon Valley and in the US, whereas in the UK, we still have a little bit of, yeah. you know, that negativity and, um, uh, you know, uh, th th those issues around failure, like we don't like failure, right? And in fact, a lot of the, the press in the UK at the moment, right? If you think about how the Future Fund has been reported, right? The Future Fund was mm -hmm. set up by by Rishi uh, Sunak and 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 uh, British Business Bank and the Treasury during COVID to support early stage businesses. All of the press has been like, look at all of these ones that have failed. But actually, that is kind of normal in the in the venture and startup ecosystem. Absolutely. And in fact, is a great way for employees of those businesses and founders of those businesses to learn and hopefully relaunch and take their learnings and build build back better and stronger in the future. And I think, you know, reframing that whole idea of like, okay, if an MBA, MBA is gonna cost me 20 to 50 grand, 
actually I could learn just as much and actually yeah. actually really learn just by putting that money to work in a different yeah. way. I think it, it, it's actually something that I'd, I'd certainly not thought about at Do all. Do you know what I love about what you're touching on as well is that it takes an ecosystem to yeah. succeed. In yeah. Africa, we have a proverb that it takes a village to raise a child. And the same is true because you've got academic institutions that breeds great talent for like machine learning and engineering. But you also got government institutions which are really important for progressive policy and create incentives for entrepreneurship, like the SEIS and EIS schemes, which give tax incentives in the UK for investors into startups. But then you've also got incubators and accelerators where people have a safe space to play and test ideas and try things out and learn how to start a startup in a cost-effective way. But then you've also got communities so people feel less lonely, whether it's for female founders or for black founders or for founders in, in, in fintech or in, in, in hardware. Well, let's touch on that for a second, right? Because you and I have uh, had a very, very brief conversation about this. Like, there are a lot, and I mean a lot of communities out there, right? Like, I think I've got a dozen WhatsApp kind of communities, yeah. another several uh, uh, Slack ones. A lot of them are doing very similar things in very, very similar sort of spaces or targeted very similar kind of cohorts. Do you think they're doing enough to actually grow collectively as a community or is it just a bit too fragmented now i think what what some of these communities really lack is real clarity on their vision mm -hmm. you know i always talk about writing your vision in ink and your strategy in pencil which means that you've got to be willing to meander and change your strategy in order to achieve your vision we're seeing a lot of that right now in the current market conditions where actually capital is less available and people are gonna have to survive on cash flows for a lot longer and the reason that i say that is because if my goal is to move the needle on, let's say, less than 0.2%, let's call it 0% if we're rounding error, right? If 0% of venture capital goes to black female founders and my goal is to get that to 2%, I should in theory be able to collaborate with anyone else who's mission aligned with moving that needle from 0 to 2%. Mm. And if there's a barrier towards us collaborating, what is that? Is that the values? Is that ego? because I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to be my own boss and I want to be the person known for doing this thing? Is that because um, actually we're seeing things through a slightly different lens from each other? And these are the barriers that we should address because collectively we have more power. We have more lobbying power for government. We have more power in terms of working with, with venture capitalists and, and change that systemic issue. We have more power in how we think about the problem solving. And one thing that I, I talk a lot about when I'm talking to young people thinking about careers in venture is we need people in venture, but we also need people who are going to be employees. We can't have everyone being entrepreneurs. We need people rising in those different spaces. Because right now, one of the problems that I'm already thinking about is who are the CMOs that I know in my network? Who are the CFOs I know in my network? How diverse are they? Because now I'm hiring for talent at a later stage for a lot of these startups or companies that are getting acquired. Actually, how diverse is the talent pool that I'm trying to hire from? And it's a real challenge for me because everyone suddenly wants to be an entrepreneur. And every entrepreneur that succeeds at scale needs to build a team. But it's almost like if they divorce the that fact from their, their mindset to think I'm an entrepreneur instead of actually what I'm doing is building a high performance team to really scale my impact and achieve this impact on a global scale. And we're all going to have to hire a team to, to be able to do that. It's, uh, it, uh, I was again giggling when you said, just because so much of this stuff resonates. When I, when I was w working with Eaton X, uh, which was a, a joint venture, like if you want to talk about privilege, it was a joint mm. venture between Eaton College and Founders Factory. Um, but um, uh, it was selling kind of uh, leadership and soft skills tra training to uh, Chinese high school students in China. 
and uh, anecdotally, when when our team was out there and they were giving a session to um, some Chinese students in one of the schools, one of the kids got up and he go and, and he literally said, "But if everyone's going to be a leader, who's going to be the labor?" Right. And and I think that like it touches on this really important thing. Like for 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 the last several years, I've talked a lot about, you know the values of being your own boss, like the benefits that come out of that. But then equally over time, I've also realized that A, not everyone is cut out to be the boss, right? Not everyone can be a leader. Not everyone can be an entrepreneur. There is risk. There are other, you know, there are other issues in your own personal life that may, you know, stop you from doing that. Um, and, and to your point, actually, you need to have the people around you because, you know, as an investor, you, the first thing you look at is who is this team and can they execute? So you yeah. need those people Absolutely. to be able to build with you. So let, let's shift kind of gear for a second, actually, and, and talk just about that. Like, what does it mean to build a startup in 2023? What is lean? What is a lean startup for 2023? Because things yeah. have changed quite dramatically. I think what's really important when we talk about a lean startup or how to build a startup, we can't lean on references from the US and yeah. San Francisco yeah. and Y Combinator because context matters. And that's why I can't give you a generic solution because the context matters. The fact that I grew up, let's say, as a, a Pakistani boy in a working class community in London really matters because now what I'm going to look for in that person is actually what is your lived experience forget just your job titles oh wait a second so if you've worked for 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 the last 15 years in the drinks and manufacturing industry and you've been on the supply chain side of things so you really know how manufacturing works you've noticed some inefficiencies right that makes you really well suited given your origin story to solve this particular problem with supply chain and manufacturing within the fmcg industry it was really important for me to know your lived experience and what you've done in the past in your context to know why you're well suited for that problem it's also really well suited because it might tell me that actually cost efficiency is front of mind with you because growing up for you was about survival and not an adventure. So you never had a financial safety net. So actually you've always been resourceful. So you understand cost efficiency like a second language. That's really important to know because in this market, it's really hard to raise cash. So cost efficiency and resourcefulness is a superpower. That's really important to know. So now that I know that, actually, what else do I need to know? How you build teams? Oh, wait, so two of your former colleagues that you used to work with want to follow you on this journey. Huh, that's interesting. That shows me that you inspire followership. If you inspire followership, that means that rather than taking this high paid job, a really big company like Diageo in our industry, I'm choosing to forego that to follow you because you're such a pleasure to work with. That's another positive signal. So now that you're building this team that's high performing who you've worked with before, how are you gonna go about building your business? Are you gonna go away in a dark room for nine months and build in isolation? Or are you gonna build with customers and validate things early and often? Are you going to think about how can I build something small, cheap, cheap and quickly so I can validate my learnings and see if I'm taking a step in the right direction? Oh, that's really interesting. So you partnered with these other firms that you know really well to do really just do an MVP to prove demand for this thing that you want to build. Oh, that's interesting. Then you did a joint venture next to just one single firm and they've got actually units within Germany, France and the UK. And now you're doing fulfillment in those three countries. Interesting. Oh, and now that you've brought engineering, you've built software on top to build more efficiencies into the building business and actually that's a more native way for your customers who are a lot younger to actually operate interesting and suddenly you see them step by step building and iterating in public and that whole route that i've just described is actually what the lean startup looks like with the cultural context of a working 